Welcome to Destination Leadership, the podcast for people interested in diving into the worlds of inspiring leaders to learn from them. I'm your host, Katrin Grunwald, founder of The Globe Team, organizational development consultant, and coach for first-time leaders. Today's guest is Suhailo Fata from BMW iVentures. In our conversation, we talk about her different leadership roles, from starting off in a management consultancy, leading a project team in India, to leading more than 120 developers in Tel Aviv as someone born and raised in Germany with Moroccan-born parents. We also talk about her current leadership role as an investor supporting startups to succeed. What I especially enjoyed was talking to Suhaila about how she puts her strengths and network into practice for her passion project, the African Tech Vision. It's a private initiative empowering African female entrepreneurs at scale, with its aim to nurture the next ecosystem of purpose-driven female founders on the continent. As I know that Suhaila has been very selective so far with podcasts, I'm really proud that she accepted my invitation to join Destination Leadership, to share her learnings, and to inspire a diverse community of listeners. Enjoy our conversation. A warm welcome to today's guest, Suhaila Ufata, who is the Managing Director of BMW's iVentures in Europe and Global Director of Platform. Hi, Suhaila. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here on the podcast. And you've been recommended to me as a real mission-driven leader by a, I think, common friend, you can say yes, that, of ours. Um, and I really look forward to speaking to you about your leadership steps and also towards the end to a, about a project that is very close to your heart. So let's go back in time and let's go towards, I think you started your career in consulting, right? That's What, right. Was your team leading experience there? I mean, look, um, I started my career in the management consulting space, just like every other person. I was completely new to the space. I just graduated. So obviously I did not start in a leadership position. I was the person, you know, working on proposals until late at night, actually quite often in a basement. It's not, uh, you know, just a picture I'm drawing here. It was actually the truth. And um, obviously my experience was a lot, um, you know, based on the fact that in the consulting space, you work very often in new teams, uh, you work under a lot of pressure, you have a client to serve uh, and client expectations to manage while you have um, a dynamic in your team. Um, so there, there's a multitude of experiences that you can gather in this space. And obviously, as you then graduate over time and uh, gain more experience, you then start to um, actually lead also teams. And, and these are, as mentioned, project-based teams, so they change all the time. That is particularly a challenge for itself. And, um, you know, thinking about that time, there is one particular project I have in mind, which was so much fun and really stressful at the same time. This was a IT project in the telecommunications industry. We um, were close to a deadline about to roll out a big IT platform. We had a very large developer team. Um, most people of that in that team 
uh, were Indian um, developers and I have never worked with a team from India. And this was so much fun because I started to learn very rapidly that I need to learn everything new in terms of nonverbal communication, what certain gestures actually mean, um, how the, to approach the famous team. head nod. <laughs> exactly. We're in a podcast, so we cannot, yeah, we can't re do. replicate that you now. You can imagine us doing the head nod. Exactly. So no, let's just think about all of the listeners that are now doing that, that uh, <laughs> sort of gesture. That's beautiful. So. I learned a lot and I learned that actually if you encounter a new um, culture, you know, you just need to be curious and open-minded. So I had asked, you know, a team member of mine to sit down. I was like, okay, you know, give me a crash course now. I need it. I need to understand. Because then also with my name, you know, my name is also used in the Indian community. So it was also confusing for the team. There was like, what? She's Moroccan or no, she's Indian. She, just, she looks Indian, but... I wasn't <laughs> and then I was born and grew up in Germany so a big confusion for the entire team so I learned a lot in that time that's one example another good example was particularly in that project as well that had so many dimensions of complexity um, a freelance IT consultant that we used to work with and this gentleman was really hard to work with uh, he had a different priority set uh, I thought we were all high performers and we're all going to work on this I mean I was so young, I was like, yeah, we can do this, and I love this, <laughs> all of the good things. Um, and this gentleman, basically, uh, he just did, was not comfortable, he was a lot more senior than I was, that I was um, assigned a task to manage him. So there I had to learn how to deal with someone who's a lot more senior than you and probably has a different um, sort of value set and different work style. And I've learned a lesson that there is value in every person and that it was up to me to completely find a new perspective rather than being sort of frustrated with the fact that he didn't deliver on time and this was putting the you know project under risk or whatever. I found new ways of working with this gentleman and um, found areas where he has expertise and made sure that I assigned him these types of tasks. That was a learning process for me. Yeah, it's really, I mean, now how many years back is that? It was like 13 years Like 13 ago. years back, yeah. of course, looking back with all the knowledge you have and will continue walking throughout your, your leadership steps. Um, looking back at this very first time of leading a functional team or let's say a project team. And I think this is something quite a lot of uh, listeners can also relate to because oftentimes, not only in consulting, but also sometimes um, with my background, which is more in like... Uh, large corporates, since I was working in Airbus, um, that people start gaining leadership experience by leading project teams. What are other things that you would tell your younger self, like 13 years back, looking at this first leadership challenge? <laughs> A lot of things. <laughs> One of them for sure would have been not to take things so serious and rather trust my instincts and my judgment. I was always a high, highly motivated and high energy person. Like, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I have a ton of energy to do a ton of things. And just because that is sort of who I am as a person, doesn't mean anyone else has to be like this or it doesn't mean at all um, that I should accept from other people to work in the same work style. So um, I would have definitely gone more for my gut feeling. Now, days, I, I look a lot more for the strength in my team and I find ways to motivate people. Specifically, you've mentioned the corporate space. Mm -hmm. The corporate space is a special beast. Oh boy. It is so hard for young people in the corporate space because they are so motivated, so much energy. They want to do things so fast. 
and then there comes this corporate huge mm -hmm. monster and all of the processes and potential colleagues that have been there for 30 plus years and tell you, you know, I've been around here, I know how to do things, we never do it this way. And um, I see structures where you know, speci uh, specifically a lot of young people are um, demotivated. So um, I would definitely tell my younger self to sort of keep that own motivation, keep stay in my own spirit and my own energy, team up with people that are like-minded on certain tasks if I can. It's obviously more fun yeah. this way, but also sort of be, be open to sort of learning from others, their experiences and um, just try to, to you know, ignite that spark, that young, crazy, fresh energy. Looking back at my younger self, I thought I I actually, I still think I can change the world, so I have to make it <laughs> And happen. you are, bit by bit. <laughs> but definitely, like this type of energy, that super young, powerful yeah. energy, uh, use it in a very positive and good way, because there are ways where even if you do not lead a team, if you don't have responsibility, or there are not specific targets assigned to the people that work with you, and typically people in the corporate are, you know, target-driven, and there are ways to motivate people and to bring them in. And I always say, you know, one lesson I have learned, actually that might be a good one, I don't know if that really um, translates well, if, if it might get lost in translation, it's a German saying. Like, I learned if I want someone to be responsible for something, I just take the head and put on the head on the head, mm -hmm. you know, so yep. they feel responsible. And you can do this in your first meetings in you know, assigning certain people, um, you know, responsibilities or just assume they have the responsibility and say, well, it's amazing. You are now taking the lead for this and that. This is going to contribute to our project in an amazing way. Thank you. Yeah, really making people feel seen and that their contribution is a value. It is not just the motivational part that I'm referring to here. That is true. But I'm referring to the fact you can make facts without being in the role where mm -hmm. you actually take the shots. Yeah. And I still use that saying a lot in my mm -hmm. business environment because I realized as soon as I have an, you know, a person in front of me and I can make sure that that person holds the responsibility over a certain task within a joint project, for example, that person will take on this task on a longer term because there is a sense of responsibility. Yep. I'm wearing this head now, yeah. I'm Mr. or Mrs. so-and-so and I'm doing this or that. So that is a trick I wish I would have known before. <laughs> Talking about responsibility, you had such an interesting responsibility in the telecommunications industry. And let's move also geographically, not just in time, but also to another corner of the world. So I think you were born in Frankfurt, right? That's Your parents right. are from Morocco. That's right. And then an Israeli company hired you. Uh, not quite. The not right quite. Way. Okay. So I was born very close to Frankfurt. So I don't want to hurt the feelings of my parents or anyone <laughs> from my little hometown. Um, and I worked, uh, as mentioned, um, in consulting for three years and then moved on to work in the telecommunications industry. I was particularly hired at a point in time where um, a lot of startups from Israel were acquired in the telecommunication space. We're talking about, you know, the time when, you know, new IP platforms came alive and so on. So while I was hired specifically to, to work with these startups and, you know, be in a very operational role, bring out uh, services together with the team, what the headhunter uh, who hired me, who, by the way, called me up while I was in Argentina. I, was, uh, at a, I, I took a sabbatical for a couple of months and I went there to learn how to dance tango because that's a big oh, passion beautiful. of mine. 
so that my younger self did very well. I didn't have <laughs> to tell her that. Um, so when I joined that um, team, what, what, what materialized very quickly is that I had a competitive edge. All of my German colleagues, and again, I'm from Moroccan descent. I was born and raised in Germany. So, you know, obviously I also, um, you know, see myself also as, as German, but my other German colleagues really struggled with the startups. Specifically that one company that was acquired from Israel, from Tel Aviv. Um, that company was an amazing company with a great asset. Um, but sometimes I definitely can say that some people in the company thought that they acquired that huge company that I worked for, not the other way around. And it turned out that this was a competitive edge for me because uh, I have family that um, lives and worked in, in the Jewish quarter, formerly Jewish quarter in Marrakesh. So big Jewish community, um, very, very, very well connected in that space. So many family, friends, and um, I definitely knew the traits. You know, I just knew how to speak with the people. That wasn't like, I remember, one of the first encounters, I was like, wait, this is like being in Marrakesh. This is like no problem at all. But uh, again, I was very confident, um, a bit too confident. So once I started to work then with the entire team, I also, you know, had a lot of struggles because uh, yes, while on a sort of non, like on a verbal basis, uh, I sort of had the feeling like this is not far from my, my, my culture, from my, you know, home, home country of my parents. I then encountered that to others in the team, specifically the tech team that I was then assigned to lead. Uh, this was tough. It's like, so here we go. There's a woman coming in here. It's, she's German and she's an Arab. That is a combination that was very overwhelming for a couple of people. But I have to say, with all of the work termination and discipline that I put into the job and the passion I had for the job, this is what won me people's hearts and minds and trust and has helped me to work with that particular team. At the peak time, I led a developer team over 120 people. So I learned so much in this time. It was beautiful. Tel Aviv is definitely one of the coolest towns on the planet. Um, and I would have missed it not for anything. So yeah. that, that was a cool challenge. And I learned a lot on a leadership perspective. Oh, it sounds definitely like it. When stepping into those leadership roles did you have a role model or someone in mind where you would say I, I took some skills i observed someone and i really appreciated the way they were interacting with the team and you made it kind of part of your style do you have someone in mind there yes and no mm -hmm. so i'd say there was no role model that was a huge issue and is a big driver for my motivation and now in the type of work i do because as a Moroccan girl that was raised here, there was no one that literally even looked like me or had a name like me or any type, like you would have never seen someone, <laughs> neither on TV, radio, or in the corporate world, or in any other ecosystems that I've been part of. So that was definitely not there, but um, I was always eager to observe from my surrounding. I'm this since I was a child. I was always that sort of, child that didn't want to do too many mistakes or at least not get caught. Let, let me put this this way. I never wanted to get caught because if you are a Moroccan child, uh, we are three 
if one messes up, every three are punished. So none of us wanted to get caught and we also never wanted the other ones to get caught. Very awkward way of raising children, but this is how it was. So I was, I was particularly trying to be super smart about that. So I was always observing my entire life. I was observing, trying to learn from other people what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong. And in particularly, you can also learn a lot about what people are doing wrong. Absolutely. You know, they see a management style you don't like. Uh, going back in time to the consulting time, I remember I had to call out one of my bosses because he was very disrespectful. He yelled at me in front of everyone, specifically my developer team then. And uh, this was not according to the values that the company was representing. And this was stressful for me, but I did it. And I'm happy I did it because it, you know, uh, helped me to, to, to de-stress the situation and also let people know if they treat me in a certain way, which I don't like, which is not respectful. So I continuously had people sort of where I learned from. One other person that it comes to my mind that sort of was a role model was um, in my consulting days, a former, um, you know, uh, client representative. Uh, with a lady based in Canada, she was so trustful. She she led with trust and motivation. She was so far away from me, but still she 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 led me through the entire project. So this type of leadership style is more mm. my style. But I can definitely also say you can also learn a ton from people from that leaders and uh, also from leaders that act in a way which you don't like. If you ask yourself why, what did that person particularly do that I don't like? Why do I not like it? How do other people think about that person? Is that person reaching their goals? So there are a lot of things, a lot of questions you can ask yourself from observing. Observing is extremely important in whatever you do. And you can actually also you know, talk to people if, if you're particularly impressed with someone and someone's skills. Reach out, say, I like what you're doing for that and the reasons, this is what I think I can learn out of this. Would you be interested in mentoring me? Absolutely. You know how often I ask people to mentor me uh, when people were like, she's nuts. Um, but I had mentors from board level yes. in all of the companies I worked with. And if I would have been nuts, why did I manage to do that? While other people working there for 30 plus years never have visibility on that level. So it goes back to that initial lesson I mentioned. Sometimes, you know, you just need to reach out to people so they will then take on responsibility for a certain topic or also for the success of your career, which is the best case. Absolutely. It's really this daring to reach out and daring to um, reach out for help sometimes or reach yes. out for um, guidance, reach out for inspiration. Um, so we hope That's to encourage right. listeners out there. Absolutely. For all listeners out there, specifically, I've seen this so much with young women, daring, you know, not wanting to ask for help or feeling weak if they ask for help or, you know, being afraid of being judged. You know, you have to be really strong and very authentic to know what you're good at and to know what you're not good at. If there are areas where you're not good at, don't even waste too much time on them, first of all. And second of all, compensate in another yeah. way where you find people that are good in those roles, or where you combine skills. There are so many things you can do, and it's always people that are not self-confident, that are lacking self-confidence, that are all acting up as if they know everything. You know, there are sayings in the consulting work where people are supposed to, you know, be in front of the client, very knowledgeable, and 
you know, never showing that I don't know something. But I tell you from my personal experience, I have pitched so many times in my life in front of board levels, in front of investors, in front of startups. I'm on stages all the time. It is actually good and authentic if you say what you don't know. And if someone's asking you a question and you don't have the answer, you don't need to bullshit. You know, if you don't know it, you just don't know it and own it up. You know, own what you know, own what you don't know. Yeah. Great to hear. It was a very nice thing you made about like um, <laughs> pitching in front of boards and investors because I know you are also on several boards. So it would be interesting to hear a bit more your perspective on when you work with startups, for example, that you invest in. How do you see your leadership role in that sense there? What is it that is important for you when working with startups, for example? That's a very good question because that's a completely different role. So for all the listeners out there um, that aren't aware um, of iVentures, that's the venture capital arm of the BMW Group. We're investing in the deep tech space and the future of transportation. We are a 500 billion euro venture capital fund and are headquartered at the Silicon Valley and now run the European team based out of Munich. So the investment area for me is Europe. Um, and then obviously as, as an investor, you have an interest in the success of a company. So you're really there to help the founders succeed. Uh, and depending on what type of investor you are, if you're an early stage investor, oh my boy. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's always a lot of work. It's very different because early stage companies have thousands of problems, have thousands of questions. There are thousands of things that they need to figure out. They're under massive pressure. Late stage companies are also under massive pressure because they have responsibility. They have made it already. They have large clients. They potentially have a large team. So specifically um, what I see in founders where they're really sort of struggling, um, if it's first time founder building up a team, motivating a team, mm -hmm. dedicating time to build up a culture Absolutely. that works. You know, a culture that's authentic, Absolutely. a culture that's understood, that people sort of, you know, that bring a smile on people's face when they're entering the office because you need to give a lot once you're working in the startup. The hours are long, the wage is low, you know, so um, this is particularly challenging. Then if you are in a board role, you have, you know, you, you have to act in the interest of the overall investment. Specifically, you have a responsibility towards the people who gave you the money to make an investment, to make a good investment, ideally. So um, obviously, there are a lot of topics where you just provide guidance. You're like an advisor. So that sometimes brings me back to some lessons from the consulting days. It's different, very different. But the mindset of the advisor is similar. And um, obviously, sometimes you have to be a connector, you have to support, you have to be just there all the time. There are no like, oh, I'm available between this and that time. I'm always available. In the middle of the night, if one of my teams calls me, I'm there. Because what they are doing is making the impossible possible. It takes so much courage and so much passion to start and run a startup. I have a tremendous amount respect for every founder that embarks on this crazy adventure. Talking about passion, Zohaida, I know you have a big passion well, about for tech, as we just heard, but also for the African continent, where your parents come That's from. Right. So tell us more about the African tech vision that you are working on together with, I think, also a team. Yes, uh, it's an amazing team where we're five people that are dedicating lots of our time to bring this vision alive. This is a private initiative, uh, which I have kicked off beginning of this year. And um, the African Tech Vision is all about empowering African female 
entrepreneurs at scale. So what we actually want to do is to nurture um, and inspire the next ecosystem of purpose-driven female founders. We believe that women on the continent are the agents for long-lasting change. They are sort of the backbone of the continent. They're the ones holding society together, families together, doing all of that at the same time, yet not participating equally to the economical upsides and benefits. So this is what we would like to change. Um, particularly, there are issues around access to financing, access to business networks, access to education and real commercial opportunities. And this is where we came up with the idea to build up a digital um, ecosystem. It's going to be a platform which will allow us to scale across the continent and also allow us to work with existing organizations, uh, existing angel networks, uh, existing accelerators and so on. And what we want to bring on that platform is basically an experience that will help these women and, and also young girls to sort of um, facilitate an entrepreneurial journey, which starts with knowledge, knowledge around funding, knowledge around you know, how to run a business, how to start a business, but also a matchmaking with very experienced um, you know, female um, serial entrepreneurs, for example, so experienced mentors. Um, and alongside that journey, we want to help them create uh, successful companies. But it's also a lot about the inspiration. Mm -hmm. I, I'd love to see, you know, every 13-year old African girl just with the same self-confidence as a 13-year-old girl in Tel Aviv or in Silicon Valley going out there and thinking about their dream, what, what they want to do. And having that self-confidence like, of course I can do that. Of course I can build a company. And there is a potential for me for change. So that brings me back to the loop that we think that positive female energy is what's going to bring massive positive development. Um, and we want to do this in the most authentic way as possible. So we work with you know local organizations and build this up. And the reason why I started this, actually this brings me back to one leadership lesson, is because I had to be really brutally honest with myself. And I needed to tell myself that what I was doing until that point was good, but not change at scale. So what I was doing until that point is that for a couple of years now I've been engaged in a couple of social projects in my home country, Morocco, some of them together with my father. And uh, while all of these very traditional social projects, they help people, they were good. But I, I look at myself like, come on, you are a venture capitalist. You, you are in the startup ecosystem for over 10 years. You know thousands of people. This is what you're actually really good at. And this is what you need to bring to the continent. And then I thought, what is the most efficient and smartest way to do this? I didn't know the pandemic was coming. Now everyone looks at this like, of course you do it digital. What a smart <laughs> way to do it, but we have to do it this way. And we knew before that's the only way it's gonna work. But now the willingness for people to interact and engage with startups and with female founders in a virtual space is obviously a lot uh, higher than it was before the pandemic. Yeah, it sounds like such a great project. And already here, I, in front of all the listeners, I, I can assure you I'm happy to support in whichever way I can as so well much. for like team development of the African startups or first time leaders. So it's something you talked about aspirations and about like making use of your skills, of your strengths yeah. for a greater good, for something that has an impact. And that's also something that's driving me. And that's, I think, also why it's such an interesting conversation, but we're coming to an end. 
Like, what a pity. Yes. <laughs> it feels like we could continue that talking forever. True. We'll just do another episode yeah. once we're a bit longer, further down the road with the African tech vision. But I'm, I'm so happy you invited me here. Thank you so much. It was a lovely conversation. There is one question I would love to ask you, as it's a question I um, ask all the podcast guests. It's an imaginary one. So imagine you can, for one day, make sure that leaders around the world in whatever industry or whatever organization they're in show a specific skill with their team which skill would that be for you well i would say um it would be great if a lot of people would learn how to listen it is so hard to listen actively and actually hear what the other person is saying. And if you're not sure about what the other person is saying, repeat it, ask the person. I think we're in a, in a time of life where we are massively bombarded with information and news and notifications. And I oh gosh, I'm, I'm on five different Slack channels like all the time. Um, and, and this is something where, you know, our concentration spam is mm -hmm. decreasing. And at the same time, our capacity to actually listen. If you actually listen and show a real interest in the other person, just like you're doing in this <laughs> podcast, actually you'll be amazed how people are opening up, building trust, how you can build up relationship. There is no leadership journey without trust and relationship building. At the end, this is what makes you successful. You're never successful on your own. You're successful with a bunch of people that you work with or have worked with. So that is sort of what I would um, come up as a suggestion. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you here on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks a lot. It was lovely. This was Destination Leadership, the podcast with inspiring leaders. I'm curious to hear what is it from this interview that you take away that has inspired you? Write to me via Instagram, Twitter, or get in touch via LinkedIn, all under my name, Katrin Grunwald. Also, if you have any feedbacks on the podcast or suggestions of leaders that have left a positive mark on you and you'd like others around the world to hear this inspiration too. I look forward to welcoming you again on the next episode of Destination Leadership.